This is Unfiltered, episode 294 for March 23rd, 2020. The time has now come for us all to do more. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. Because the critical thing we must do to stop the disease spreading between households. That is why people will only be allowed to leave their home for the following very limited purpose. Friends, and welcome into episode 294 of your darn near daily. I just can't. Unfiltered podcast that's categorizing the Corona's chaos for you as quickly and as frequently as humanly possible. It's just me right now. That's part of it. No network. It's just me pulling up the, the old show by its bootstraps and getting this thing on the road again. It just took a little old worldwide pandemic to get me to do it. Quick shout out to chrislast.com if you're curious about some of my rationale from bringing the show back, why I'm doing it, chrislast.com slash, I think it's 10. I don't remember the URL. <laughs> no, I'm not very good at the old plug skis thing, but I did mention my rationale in there. But let's start with Corona because that's why we're back. We are spinning the old show back up. I'll tell you more about that in a second. But as we stand right now, as of 5 p.m. Eastern on March 23rd, 2020, we have 16,381 total global deaths. It's also been over 100,000 recoveries. And there are now 372,000 reported cases. Oof. There's been 573 deaths in the U.S. There's been 178 recoveries. So, yeah, there's a little bit going on. We expected some big numbers today, though. That's one of the reasons I put out a Sunday show. We also expected that the U.S. Senate would pass phase three of a recovery bill to start pumping money back into the system. Well, that didn't happen. So we got to catch up on the news. we got to talk about the economy. And I want to do some more background on oil because I think that's key to all of this once all of this even passes the corona stuff. with the Surgeon General's rather stark warning, kind of getting you prepared for the idea that you're going to be seeing some numbers that really suck. Happening now, the U.S. Surgeon General is issuing a sobering new warning for the nation. This is Dr. Jerome Adams just moments ago. I want America to understand this week, it's going to get bad. And uh, we really need to come together as a nation. I, I heard the stories that you were just playing, young people out um, on beaches. Uh, we, we see here in D.C. Uh, that, that the uh, district set up a cam for people to watch the cherry blossoms. You look on the cam, you see more people I walking around than you see cherry blossoms. And this is how the spread is occurring. Everyone needs to be taking the right steps right now. And that means stay at home. Yeah. Woof. That's the message. Woof. Stay at home. And uh, the World Horth, or World Horth. <laughs> hmm. I wonder what was trying to Freudianly slip out there. I have a different, uh, I have an idea, but I'm not going to share it. I want to stay focused for a second. The World Health 
organization director, says it's going to get bad as well. More than 300,000 cases of COVID-19 have now been reported to WHO from almost every country in the world. That's heartbreaking. The pandemic is accelerating. It took 67 days from the first reported case to reach the first 100,000 cases. 11 days for the second 100,000 cases. And just four days for the third 100,000 cases. That is what you call exponential growth there. And um, it has it has the knock-on effect of making people freak out. And you're seeing additional pieces move into place. The National Guard has been mobilized in three of the hardest-hit states, including my own. Act into action and not rely on what he called ad hoc volunteerism. Now, the president announcing yesterday that he is going to be deploying the National Guard to California, New York State and Washington State and paying 100 percent of the cost of that. In a memorandum, the president saying that the National Guard will be involved in preventing, mitigating and responding to the threat to public health and safety posed by the virus that the states undertake using their National Guard forces. The president spoke about it at yesterday's coronavirus briefing. Listen here. And through FEMA, the federal government will be funding 100 percent of the cost of deploying National Guard units to carry out approved missions to stop the virus while those governors remain in command. So the governors locally are going to be uh, in command and uh, will be uh, following them. And we hope they can do the job. And I think they will. I suppose. It was the governors, by the way, who asked for this. While it's not expected that the Guard will participate in law enforcement activities, the title that they are being deployed under, Title 32, does allow them to participate in law enforcement. The Posse Comitatus Act, as it's known, which prevents the military from engaging in law enforcement, does not apply under Title 32. It's not likely at the moment. There you go. You can go Google search Title 32. If you find something particularly concerning or interesting, send me it. In a send me like a, a block of it and a quote and a link if you would unfiltered.show slash contact. I have been spending a lot of time attempting to watch as many of these live streams from the different governors um, and from the different states as I can just to try to get a flavor of what the different situations are like. That has really opened my eyes to how critical the vote for your governor is <laughs> like that and the fact that they're now commanding the National Guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's pay attention, okay, everybody? Let's pay attention to those elections. <laughs> oh, my God. It's really something. Governor Como from, uh, not, not Como, not Kumin, <clears throat> from New York City, I think is setting the benchmark for well-done governor press conferences. Uh, I think he's I think he's done a really good job with his. He's he's evolved the visual look to include additional information. And I kind of like the way he seems to talk about the issue as well. The increase in the number of cases continues. uh, And that is uh, what we're watching every day. They see it as an upward trajectory. I see it as a wave that will break at one point. And the question is, what is the point of the break? So he's saying some experts are saying it's just going to be an exponential curve that continues to go up. 
He's hoping for what would be more like a wave where it sort of has a peak and then it comes crashing down on everything. And if when the wave breaks, does it crash over the healthcare system, right? That's what we've been talking about. So two tracks simultaneously, you have to reduce the spread of the rate of the virus, the rate of spread of the virus. And he's got nice visuals that are going along demonstrating all of this. You're not really going to uh, control the spread, but you can reduce the rate of the spread so you can handle it in your hospital system. That's what every state is doing. That's what this is all about. And I think there's another part there that gets overlooked. We often talk about trying not to overload the hospital system. If you heard yesterday's episode, you know I'm not a big fan of the shelter-in-place term. I, I think it sounds weak, and I, I think it's um, scary to see citizens begging to be ordered to shelter-in-place. Just voluntarily shelter-in-place if that's what you want to do. There is a reason for it, though, beyond attempting to save the hospital systems from overloading. And that is, if you reduce the amount of people that are out and about, then you reduce the work that the health officials have to do when they are trying to walk back where you got infected. So if there are smaller groups of people and smaller gatherings, there's less detective work to figure out where the infection may have been transmitted because that then tells them who else is likely infected. And then they need to inform those people. That's part of their process is once somebody's been infected, they attempt to do this detective work, if you will, and then they make contact to individuals who have had contact with that person since then. And so if you are reducing travel and you're reducing your exposure and you are staying at home, you are making that job much more straightforward for yourself if you ever were to get infected, but also for everyone else. So there's, a, there's an additional benefit other than just don't overwhelm the hospital systems. So I want to make it clear. I, I think it's a good idea that people are staying home. In fact, I enjoy it. I think it's great. Now, I'd love to see this become a little bit more of a common place. Maybe more people work from home than did before or after this. I think that would be awesome. I'd even be willing to give up the old handshake. So far, I, I had to go get uh, two different things fixed. I had to go to a tire shop and I had to go to an electrical shop. We're not shaking hands here in Washington. I don't mind it. It's not so bad. It took me a little bit to get used to it. It's not so bad. And when I am out on the road, which is typically just from home and the studio, from point A to point B, traffic's better. It's not great. There's still people out, but it's reduced and less people are getting sick and it's easier to track where they got sick at. I, I think it makes a big difference. And so I don't like the term shelter in place. I think it sounds cowardly. I really despise the wicked who are begging for the government to lock them in their homes like that's uh, just imagine when we have a, a biological weapon that gets released in the United States or a radiation leak or some sort of natural disaster or some sort of active warfare. Imagine then the, the kind of response. If, this, if in this very situation they're pleading to be locked down, imagine. I'm still taking screenshots. See it? Oh, I'm taking a screen. Anybody, anybody in my loose extended circle that I see pleading with the federal government to override state rights and lock them in their homes is screenshot worthy for me. I think it's, um, it's a good lesson. I've never seen anything like this in my life. And I think it's, good, it's a good lesson right now. New York City has sort of become the quote-unquote epicenter of this entire thing. They've quickly outpaced Washington, and they are also up for some quote-unquote clinical trials of medication. 
Out of the uh, Governor Cuomo press conference, the fact that he is going to begin giving certain patients the combination of uh, hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, that's definitely a topic for tonight's uh, coronavirus briefing, as well as the fact that he's calling on the president to put the Defense Production Act into action and not rely on what he called ad hoc volunteerism. I want to stop there. So I want to go back. Uh, let's catch that again, because I think we need to talk about this. He is going to begin giving certain patients the combination of uh, hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. I want to point out yesterday's clip that I played where Rachel Meadow went on the air and said, we have to stop airing the Trump press conferences because he's spreading misinformation. And they cited the, the question around these drugs as an example. And Trump seemed kind of like, oh, yeah, maybe it's not a bad idea. And then Fochi got up there and so the doc got up there and said, no, 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 you got to understand. We haven't properly tested it yet. Well, here they are. And yet that is still being used as this crap attack against Trump. It's these... Oh, I got into this last episode, so I won't get into it again. But it's it's so it's so interesting where you see they're taking a lazy route, like a lazy, easy attack. That's just like a a simple way to go instead of taking the more sophisticated attack that would actually undermine him. And mm-hmm. again, I, I it's the same thing. Uh, it's the same thing um, I got into in the last episode. So I'll just keep moving on. It just gets me. There is something that sort of kind of lifted my spirits it's pretty great seeing all the different distilleries and um different um uh microbreweries that's the word i was looking for that are getting together and trying to help make things like hand sanitizer or at least components for it hey johnny walker maker diageo brands announcing it will produce alcohol to fill eight million bottles of sanitizer <laughs> i mean that's just a feel-good story right there right shifting from brewing and distilling to producing sanitizer has been a focus for global beer and spirits companies during this outbreak. The makers of Budweiser, Absolute Vodka, Bacardi, and many others donating or producing at cost the alcohol to make the increasingly hard-to-find liquid as demand continues to surge globally. I think it's pretty great. I mean, they're going to make a little money, but not much. It's, it's, uh, it's not much. I think it's, I think it's smart for them to do it. It's patriotic for them to do it. And... Um, if they end up taking a big financial loss, something tells me because they did this, the federal government is likely to step in. Everybody gets a check. Everybody gets a check, at least here in the States. If you're in Britain, well, you're just getting more lockdown. Good evening. The coronavirus is the biggest threat this country has faced for decades. And this country is not alone. All over the world, we're seeing the devastating impact of this invisible killer. This is English Trump. Oh, I mean, Boris Johnson. And so tonight... I want to update you on the latest steps we're taking to fight the disease and what you can do to help. And I want to begin by reminding you why the UK has been taking the approach that we have. Without a huge national effort to halt the growth of this virus, there will come a moment when no health service in the world could possibly cope because there won't be enough ventilators, enough intensive care beds, enough doctors and nurses. Fuck the EU. And as we've seen elsewhere in other countries that also have fantastic healthcare systems, that is the moment of real danger. To put it simply, if too many people become seriously unwell at one time, the NHS will be unable to handle it, meaning more people are likely to die, not just from coronavirus, but from other illnesses as well. That's also a point that is maybe not quite talked about enough, is the issue is really overwhelming the hospital so they can't respond to anything else. We have, uh, like I mentioned, I think, last episode, 
we have a family member who has a very serious lung condition. That whole thing is really being slowed down. Um, I think they were looking at transplants and now that whole process has been slowed way down and they're trying to give him something to just get by, like a breathing system. So it's vital to slow the spread of the disease because that is the way we reduce the number of people needing hospital treatment at any one time so we can protect the NHS's ability to cope and save more lives. And that's why we've been asking people to stay at home during this pandemic. And though huge numbers are complying, and I thank you all, the time has now come for us all to do more. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. Because the critical thing we must do to stop the disease spreading between households. That is why people will only be allowed to leave their home for the following very limited purposes. Shopping for basic necessities as infrequently as possible. One form of exercise a day, for example, a run, walk or cycle. This is very prescriptive. Isn't that interesting? I don't know. I didn't expect this level of what you may or may not do. One form of exercise a day, for example, a run, walk or cycle alone or with members of your household, any medical need to provide care or to help a vulnerable person and traveling to and from work, but only where this is absolutely necessary and cannot be done from home. There you go. Uh, very much like the states are doing here, more states and even cities are uh, issuing those types of orders. It doesn't surprise me to see that escalating there. What did surprise me and remains unanswerable and also underreported by ABC, NBC, MSNBC, Fox News and CNN is that, believe it or not, since we recorded last or since you and I had this conversation last, Harvey Weinstein tested positive for COVID-19. And convicted sex offender Harvey Weinstein is reportedly battling the coronavirus. Reuters is reporting that Weinstein tested positive for COVID-19 and is currently in isolation in the state prison where he is now serving 23 years sentence. Weinstein was transferred to Whedon Correctional Facility in Buffalo, New York on Wednesday. That's where he reportedly tested positive for coronavirus. A jury convicted Weinstein last month of rape and sexual assault, and he has repeatedly maintained his innocence, denying that he ever engaged in non-consensual sex. Okay. (laughs) I got a little bacon to fry on this one. I don't really know if it's bacon so much as it is a Red Book prediction, but I think Harvey's going to die from this one. What do you think? You think? I mean, what are the chances Harvey Weinstein got it? First of all, does that mean the prison system has it? Second of all, does that mean a guard might have it? Does it is it spreading throughout there? I, I, also, then there's the questions like, how did Harvey Weinstein get access to a test when many millions of Americans can't get access to tests? How did a prisoner, how did a convicted prisoner of sex crimes get access to the coronavirus test before average American citizens? How does such a thing happen? And then why are we not talking about it very much? And why is there no follow-up on the rest of that? those questions? <laughs> this is the weirdest story yet, isn't it? I mean, the senator's cashing in on the stock market. That's, that's like a real scummy story. But this is a weird story. And I, I, I don't know what to make of it. 
I just don't know what to make of that one. Um, but I think a Red Book prediction, a safe one, would be it's a great way to have a Harvey Weinstein death in the public. You know, it's a great public excuse. It's much cleaner than the whole Epstein situation. Much, much cleaner. All right, moving on to the old economy. Let's talk about some of the quote-unquote shockwaves that appear to be hitting the economy. Number one really being the dramatic jump in filings for unemployment. Was in Washington, D.C. She has the latest headlines for us. Good afternoon, Rachel. Hi, Amy. Let's get to some of the developments that we are following here with the number of those COVID-19 cases soaring here in the U.S., the shockwaves to the economy, the stock market losing $8 trillion in value in the last month. Let's take a look at the numbers. Analysts estimate more than 2 million people filed for unemployment last week, the highest number ever, spiked by an unprecedented surge in layoffs. And Japan is expected to now quarantine all visitors from the U.S. This as pressure mounts. Oh, yeah, they're going to. Yeah, the Olympics. I'll let her play this out. It's over whether to go forward with the Tokyo Summer Olympics. The International Olympic Committee now considering a postponement to 2021. A final- that seems likely, doesn't it? <laughs> that seems pretty likely. All right, let's talk about the real crap show that's been happening today. In fact, I delayed coming into the studio tonight, so it's pretty late here because I thought I'd have something more to share with you by now. Unfortunately, uh, what I have is a crap show. So the Senate was working on phase three of a stimulus bill, which has been rumored to range from $1.3 trillion as far as $4 trillion. And there's been a lot of negotiations back and forth to try to get it to something reasonable. It sounds like $2 trillion-ish was about to be the number. It goes up for vote. It's to save the economy so that way Americans could wake up Monday morning and see that their federal government is pumping more money. And instead... We got Bubkiss. Staying in Washington, the Senate failing to move forward with its nearly $2 trillion phase three coronavirus bill after Democrats blocked that plan. They are pushing back on several fronts. And another attempt to push the bill forward could happen as early as noon Eastern today. Now, we- And it did, in fact, happen. And we thought, OK, here it is. Now they're going to pass it. They'll have worked out their deets. And we'll have the stimulus bill. Just this hour, the Senate has again failed to advance the largest stimulus bill in American history. And that puts senators back at the negotiating table. Oh, 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 no. Instead, they um, they decided to go yell at each other via C-SPAN. Here's McConnell. Are you kidding me? This is the moment to debate new regulations that have nothing whatsoever to do with this crisis. That's what they're up to over there. American people need to know it. Democrats won't let us fund hospitals or save small businesses unless they get to dust off the Green New Deal. You know what really grinds my gears? And then, of course, Schumer uh, got over to his uh, pulpit and uh, via camera yelled at McConnell for yelling at him via camera. President, Secretary of Treasury, the President's congressional liaison, getting things done. Oh, yeah. We Democrats uh-huh. are trying to get things done. Yeah. Not making partisan speech after partisan speech. <laughs> and then he goes on and makes a partisan speech for 15 minutes. And then during all of this, bizarrely, Pelosi held, Nancy Pelosi held a press conference And it looked exactly like an old Obama press conference. The lighting, the hallway, the podium, the flags in the background, the coming out the side door, the walking up to the podium. It was it was like 
Obama was announcing the death of a terrorist. I mean, it was the same exact set. And when you when you listen to this, it almost comes across as an ultimatum. If you want to break the standstill, agree to my ultimatum. Now, I'm not saying that's what it is, but if you look at the timing, it just really comes across that way. She's walking out. Good afternoon. Ten years ago today, on March 23rd, 2010, President Obama signed the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act into law. On that proud day, we took a monumental step forward for the health and financial security of the American people. Yes, yes. During all of this, she stopped for a press conference about the Affordable Care Act. You could see the logic, right? I mean, this is obviously turning into a giant health care issue. We expanded new health coverage to 20 million people and delivered better coverage to more than 150 million Americans with health insurance through their employer. We passed the Affordable Care Act because we believe that in the United States of America, health care must be a right, not a privilege. The late Senator Ted Kennedy made that belief the fight of his life. Okay. Thanks to the leadership of President Barack Obama, who was dedicated, knowledgeable, strategic, and determined to succeed. Whoa, that is some Obama love. Thanks to the clear vision of our committee chairs, crafting the legislation, and the deep courage of members of Congress. Thanks to outside mobilization of patient advocacy groups, nuns on the bus, March of Dimes, Protect Our Care, Little Lobbyists, and, and others. Don't lose it there, Nancy. The Affordable Care Act stands today among the great pillars of American health and financial security. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and the Affordable Care Act. Now we find ourselves in the depths of one of the most serious health and economic emergencies our nation has ever faced. The protections of the Affordable Care Act are more important now than ever. But right now, in the middle of the coronavirus, the Trump administration is in court suing to tear down the entire Affordable Care Act, every last protection and benefit. If President Trump succeeds in striking down the ACA in court, gone is the ban on insurers putting limits on your health care. Gone are guaranteed essential health benefits and free preventive services. Gone are young people staying on their parents' insurance until age 26. Gone is the health insurance of 20 million Americans. And gone are the life-saving protections for more than 130 million Americans with pre-existing conditions. Today, therefore, I'm calling on President Trump to abandon his lawsuit seeking to strike down the Affordable Care Act. Instead, the president should urge the 14 states who have refused to expand Medicaid to do so. I find this timing interesting. It could be related to the court case, could be related to the no votes going on. I find the whole thing peculiar. Um, And the optics of it were very presidential which kind of freaks me out about what she might be planning for the future. There's no way. There's no way. There's no way. No way. No way, right? Right? Although if you would have taken me back five to eight years ago and had me bet if Nancy Pelosi or Donald Trump would run for president and win, I would have bet Nancy Pelosi. So (laughs) I suppose anything is possible. Since we've been back, I've been talking about oil. 
I think it plays a really big picture part, part of a, you know what I'm saying, a bigger, a bigger part of the overall picture as, as maybe hopefully months go by and we recover from this. Whatever happens in this oil price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia is going to have massive impacts on the U.S. economy. But I think to understand why it's so massive, you have to have more context about the state of oil production in the U.S. because it's changed dramatically even in the last five to eight years. I'm going to play this clip to kind of bring us all up to speed. So as we talk about this in the future, we're all kind of working from the same set of knowledge. Experts on energy, including oil and gas, say that solar and wind are the energy of the future. But while consumers wait for the future expansion of alternative energy, the fossil fuel industry is pushing for natural gas to be what it calls a bridge to that future. In the U.S., drillers are busily tapping gas as well as oil from underground rocks known as shale in a process called hydraulic fracturing, more commonly known as fracking. But not everyone is convinced the transitional fossil fuel is all it's cracked up to be. Despite its benefits, fracking remains unpopular in many parts of the world, especially among climate activists and locals most affected by the process. And with plummeting oil prices triggered by the coronavirus and Saudi Arabia's standoff with Russia, the financial viability of shale is in jeopardy. Fracking is a fairly new process of natural gas extraction. First commercially introduced in 1949, it involves forcing water mixed with sand and chemicals into a well to create fissures in shale rock so oil and gas trapped inside can escape. Advances in the 1980s in a technique called horizontal drilling opened up access to thin layers of shale even deeper underground. Over the past decade, U.S. oil and gas output has surged 57%, mostly due to shale-rich areas such as the Permian Basin, which stretches from Texas to New Mexico. America's recent energy dominance was meant to undercut OPEC's ability to manipulate the market. But in March of 2020, Russia triggered an oil war with Saudi Arabia, cratering global prices. The shale industry, which has higher production costs than places like Saudi Arabia and Russia, and relies heavily on debt finance, was hit the hardest. Major shale operations like Whiting Petroleum Corp. and Diamondback all but promised major job cuts and production halts after shares dropped 40 to 45 percent, respectively. Adding to the, I think that's probably the key stat right there. I think that that employment stat right there. I'll finish it up. Recent woes, fracking remains highly controversial. It has become a huge target for climate activists who point to its damaging effects on the environment. A handful of European countries have effectively banned the practice due to its environmental impacts. But the U.S. is pushing forward because it gives us significant leverage in the world oil market. And uh, there is national security interest there. So it's a very tricky balance. The one that probably won't see resolution very soon. However, as the price of oil to get it the traditional way drops to near $30, $20, whatever it's going to be for a barrel, well, that's significantly cheaper than fracking. Fracking is much more expensive. I think it it doesn't have to be to $100, but I think the closer to $100 it is the much uh, a barrel, the much significantly profiter, more profit they make. Cheese profiter. I'm doing great today. It's late. I'm sorry. Uh, the, the, the significant more profit that the fracking industry makes when oil is much closer to 50, 60, 80, 90, and even $100 a barrel, which is where it has been not too long ago. So now that we're talking about price in the 20s to 30s, 
it's going to have significant knock-on effects to the economy. And the types that take a while to recover from job markets can sometimes be really slow to bounce back. Now, yesterday I asked, where's Joe? Where's Joe Biden in all of this? He's taken to his new video studio at his house, which looks horrible. The lighting is horrendous, which the campaign has actually admitted. Uh, and Joe himself, after a week and a half off from public, is still pretty low energy. And starts with adopting a mindset of real urgency. It's still kind of hard to understand sometimes. For too long, the warning signs were ignored. For too long, the administration said the threats were, quote, under control, quote, he is, quote-unquote, blasting, I hate that term, Trump, saying that Trump has done a terrible job from his poor-lipped, noisy studio. Um, and it's what I kind of expected. I expected I expected all along for him to be kind of leveraging this to attack Trump. We finally are seeing that after some time. Contained, quote, like the flu. The president says no one saw this coming. Well, that's just not accurate. Our intelligence officials were warning of coronavirus threat in January. Just based on public information that I had, I warned the threat was getting worse way back on January the 27th and urged the need to put science first, draw on emergency funds to get response started, think about invoking disaster powers to respond. Many of us talked about the need to get the U.S. scientists on the ground to see firsthand what was happening in China rather than relying on what came from China. So that's the big attack. Pretty weak. Pretty weak. And honestly, he doesn't seem to be blazing through that read either. It's It, it makes me concerned. I, I guess I ask you this. Honestly, picture Joe Biden handling this situation right now. It's possible he'd defer everything to staff and act as a spokesperson. In that scenario, I think it'd probably go okay. But yesterday I played an example of Trump being aware of supply chain details and being able to recall them immediately, sharply. And I I picture these press conferences where I've been witnessing that. And then I picture Joe Biden up there. And I don't know how... It would go. I'd like to know what you think about that. Maybe it'd be okay. Maybe he'd act sooner. Maybe he'd pull in the right experts. It's possible. I just don't have a great feeling about it. I don't know. So I'm still watching to see where things go. And as time and life allows, I'll have another unfiltered for you. Tomorrow's my unplugged day, so it's pretty unlikely on a Tuesday. But if something just outrageously big happens, I'll be here. I'll make time. I'll somehow. I'll get up. I'll get up at 4 a.m. or I'll stay up late like I am till 8, 9, 10 p.m. and record. I'll probably be going to bed not too long. I'm an old man. <laughs> But I think it's important because there's so much happening. I mean, it's nuts, the amount of news that is coming in. And thankfully, I've got new systems to help kind of automate some of it. But it's I've got metrics on it, and it's beyond anything the show's ever seen before. So the Unfiltered Show is in high gear right now, spinning up back to regular soon. So thanks so much for tuning today, into today's, I was going to say this week's, into today's episode. And I'll see you really soon.